0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Oh, he that chicken. He's the chicken. Sabonis down the lane
0: with authority. For the champ. Warren looks it fly. Yes! TJ Warren is not human! You're listening to Setting the Pigs, your go-to Pacers
2: podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Fachi. All right, Fachi, well while the injuries have derailed the Pacers season pretty much to a T, O'Shea Bursette um is benefiting from this and he just got signed to a three-year contract for the Indiana Pacers, which was A bit of a surprise on a Tuesday afternoon
1: here in Indianapolis. It really was because, you know, I think all Pacer fans were hoping like, hey, at least sign Brissette for the rest of the season. I know you tweeted out yesterday, sign him for this year and next year, but the fact that the Pacers got a three-year deal done, Alex, this feels like an Edmund Sumner-like signing where the Pacers front office got ahead of it, and I'm feeling real good about this deal because, you know, he's only played a handful of games, but... Double-digit scoring in two of the last three. I like what I'm seeing.
2: Yeah, and funny you mentioned that. J. Michael was on the JMV uh, radio show right before we we hopped on here, and I was listening to their conversation, and he brought that up, said that the mid-level exception, part of that was used to sign o- O'Shea set. so that's really cool they were able to do that without having to, you know, going to the uh, luxury tax, and Mm -hmm. I don't think they had to let anybody go. I think he is the 17th man because they did let Jalen McHugh go, so he is going to fill that roster spot up completely there, and they will have no more spots for the rest of the season unless for some reason they do some injury exception stuff if Turner's out for the rest of the year. But long story short, the Edmund Sumner contract is what J. Michael compared this to, and and he did say that he feels like this could be – you know, similar to that deal where
1: the last year is a player or team option? Yeah. I mean, it was the first thing I thought once they got this deal done where I was like, wow, clearly the Pacers front office knows, you know, they have a better, you know, hand on the pulse than than the rest of us seeing O'Shea in practice, seeing him through the G League, all of that. And I just feel like they got ahead of this. I love it because in, in a time where there's really not that much to be proud about, Right now, in Pacer Nation, this made you feel good that we can now root for his player development for the rest of this year and for years to come. Yeah, and the and the truth of the matter is, like, while this
2: year might just be a little bit of a stepping stone for him, and it's a good it's a good deal for him to get that long extended contract in the NBA and not just be on these ten day contracts. I think that he actually fits the system that Bjorken is trying to run. So do I. And it gives you some insurance if Jakar Sampson, which I don't think he'll be brought back next year, just Probably gut feeling. Not. I think that he's going to take Jakar's spot for next year. And then it also maybe gives you a little bit of insurance if you do let um, Doug McDermott go in free agency, if they try to go in a different direction. So I think that there's opportunities here for him to play next year. They, they've already let some guys like Georges Niang and Alizé Johnson leave this team and thrive elsewhere. I think that they saw the potential in this guy. And thought, hey, we can't miss out on another one.
1: No, and, and look, Alex, I, it like it hurts me seeing what Alize Johnson's doing. You know, I mean, I remember last year we had our Pacers draft. I drafted him way higher than I should have, just because I loved what the kid <laughs> brought to the table. And seeing him succeed with the Nets now, that's awesome. But hey, that's a story for another day. Um, with O'Shea, I feel like this is someone at six seven. He's got the size that that you you know you dream of right over here. He can play multiple positions could switch defensively. And also, this is a guy who's familiar with the Raptors' system under Nate Bjorkin. So, you know, there, there's a lot of good positives here, and I just feel like this was a signing that it made you feel a little bit better about the team moving forward, and you just hope to see more O'Shea.
2: Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I'm a, I'm a believer in O'Shea Brissett. I'm not sure what it is about him that I love, but just seeing some of the way he moves on the court – the defense that he plays, I think that his offense is only going to get better. Mm-hmm. I just think he's a kid that's going to be a good player and, and and not like great by any stretch of the means, yeah. but like a role player. You know what I mean? Oh, and, yeah. and and that's what all you can ask for. And you get him on a cheap contract, makes a lot of sense. So anyway, we got to move forward. Miles Turner with a pretty uh, severe injury, going to keep him out indefinitely. Demonte Sabonis is already ruled out for Wednesday night's game against Are we playing the Pistons Wednesday? I can't even keep track.
1: Yeah, but Um, we have the Pistons coming up. Yeah,
2: so he's going to be out for that game. That was just reported here on Twitter while we were talking. And, you know, just a lot of injuries. Doug McDermott got hurt again last night. Goga got hurt last night. Jeremy Lamb hurt. Just TJ Warren's obviously out. The injuries just keep piling up and piling up and piling up, Faji. What are your thoughts on all the injuries and what do you think the reason is for
1: it? So real quick, we have the Thunder coming up on Wednesday. The Pistons will be later yeah, this week. That's right, that's right. Um, but with the injuries coming up, I mean, I just – I don't know what exactly to say because I feel like they're not playing the same amount of minutes that they were in the beginning of the year. I mean, there, there's there got to be lingering – If I mean, it's like a freak thing, like Goga's ankle and Miles Turner's foot. And I, I don't know if this is – if this foot injury, do you think maybe – When he hurt his ankle, maybe this could be somewhat related. We've seen lingering issues happen in the past, like Victor Oladipo. But for Sabonis, I mean, in the past, I remember he he had, like, banged his knee earlier, but now you're talking about a sore lower back. I mean, I think maybe this is kind of just what's happening with the wear and tear of the season as it's gone on. I mean, we've talked about the Pacers. This was their fifth game in seven nights. I mean, there's been – the schedule has been condensed this year to the point where maybe it, it is really affecting the players. I know that they've practiced less this year than in the past, but there's a lot of injuries this year. And I feel like, sure, there always is. But this year, more than anything, it feels like the three games in five nights is like a, a regular thing.
2: Yeah, it's pretty obvious. A lot of the players in the league are not happy with the schedule and how much wear and tear it puts on their body. Obviously, the league is a business, and we have to remember that sometimes. It's an entertainment business as well. So these guys are asked to perform at a high level and they're making a lot of money for it. But at the same time, they're also human beings. And I think that once you put that human element into it, you have to understand like, Hey, these guys can only do so much for so long. And and that's why you're starting to see the injuries, you know, mount up, especially with guys that are our key players in our league, like not just the key players for the Pacers, but you're talking about, Key players across the league that have missed significant time. And that's kind of been a debate that's going on for the MVP votes. I mean, Jokic is one of the only ones that's not really missed a lot of time that's in the MVP race. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, it's, it's a, it's one of those things that happens when you do have a condensed schedule. I, I know you can't really throw practice in here with these games, but I do think not having a training camp, not having that time to rest and not having time to practice to get your body ready for stuff has probably played a lot of, uh, a factor into that and not to mention the travel that goes with it. I mean, the Pacers play like 18 to 24 on the road. Like it seemed like the last traveling last four or five weeks. I mean, they played a lot of road games. So quite frankly, to me, it's just, it's one of those years. It's, it's a season. That's not going to have an asterisk on it. I don't think, but it's just one of those years where it's like, this has been rough. And, you know, you got your games in and fans seem to be excited watching it. And there's new teams and there's new things to be excited about. And I think the playoffs, are going to be really exciting. I really do. But the regular season has been kind of a letdown a little bit as far as competition goes, but there's still been some great games and overall, the league's in a good place. I just think, unfortunately, right now, the Pacers are at a point where we talked about it before. They're kind of unintentionally tanking because they don't have the assets to be put on the court to help them win games.
1: Exactly. This isn't like what other teams are doing of just, you know, openly one night they're just resting you know, like a Miles Turner or Sabonis, like these guys are banged up. They're hurt. And Alex, it's sad, but it was something about the Miles Turner injury that it took the wind out of me to say, like, man, not, I don't think anything good is happening this year other than just flat out being in the playing game. I think that is the now pretty much, I don't want to call it the best case scenario in terms of being in the playoffs, but it's hard to even imagine this team jumping up to like seven or eight at this point. I mean, the worst record at home in the Eastern conference. Yeah. I mean, they're dropping games left and right. We don't know if miles Turner will even come back this year. Sabonis with with the lower back. I mean, is this something that you even want to rush? We didn't even have Sabonis available in the playoffs last year. So it just feels like with Sabonis and miles Turner, I feel like you want to rest them. But then at the same point, please tell me Goga's going to be all right because we got to at least be able to watch Goga develop. I That was the one bright spot other than O'Shea that I loved to see last night. Goga was swatting everything, and, and it, it was great to see. Rough night struggling from the field, but rebounding-wise and blocking shots before he got hurt with that ankle injury, uh, it was very promising.
2: No, Goga looked good last night. I mean – he's a great rim protector, and I think he's getting better and better, and he's still young. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I mean, he got a foul trouble. Obviously, that's Goga. He's a young center. It's going to happen. We remember those those days when Sabonis would always get in foul trouble. Yep. And, and we talked about it at nauseum. like, hey, he's got to be better at not getting in foul trouble and getting himself in bad positions. But, yeah, I just I think some of the stuff Goga does, it's really fun to watch, and I'm hoping that he's able to play Wednesday against the Thunder, like he corrected me on, and and is able to go out there and just kind of showcase what he can do. I mean, without without Sabonis and without Miles, you need Goga. If not, you're going to be playing Brissett and, and Jakar Sampson at your center position. So, I mean, it could be really ugly. And I guess if you're wanting to lose a bunch of games, <laughs> then you're probably happy about that. But I want to go back to what you brought up with Miles Turner's injury and how it kind of just sucked the life out of you a little bit. I think what probably did it for you, Foch, is the fact that it kind of put an end to the, or the timetable just seems so much longer than the other injuries. Like, he's day-to-day yeah. or or he's out. He's rolled out for the next game. No, out indefinitely. And when the Pacers say out indefinitely, that's been their new thing to report whenever they have injuries that are significantly uh, going to be longer than, you know, a week or two. Yeah. To me, that just kind of felt like, well, there's 16 games left in the season at this point. Now there's 15 left. And he's going to be out indefinitely, so it feels like he's going to miss at least two to three weeks, which right there is you know half of your games or, or more. So yep. you probably just felt like, okay, this is this is a time to just kind of pack it up and just call call it quits. And I and I kind of feel that because that is to me how the fan base immediately reacted when that news broke.
1: It, it crushed a lot of us because I just feel like you're thinking about out indefinitely. You're catching Harris Levert vibes. You're catching TJ Warren vibes, where you're like. This isn't going to be a couple weeks. This could be like a month, could be more than that. This could be, hey, maybe he'll be available for the playoffs or the play-in game. If, you know, I don't know if that's the best case scenario, but it's going to be a while. And I don't want to call it selfishly, but for for Miles Turner, this could – very much affect the all defensive, you know, second team and stuff like that. I mean, we knew he wasn't going to win defensive player of the year. I know everybody wanted that, but Rudy Gobert is having a very good year. And you still hoped, okay, what about all defensive second team for Miles? That way we need to get this man the recognition. Well, you know what? You end up missing these remaining 16 games. You missed a handful of games. If you miss 20 games out of 72, I don't blame the voters for unfortunately overlooking you when it's very competitive out there.
2: No, I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I, Miles has clearly been the best defensive player on this Pacers team, so he can oh, win yeah. the defensive player of the year for us. Oh, yeah. every but, year. But but yeah, so, you know, and that's kind of what the biggest question is for me. It's like some people have been talking about it and it's maybe it's a little sensitive to the subject because we're unsure if he's going to come back, but I've heard some people throw out there, is this the last time we've seen Miles Turner in a Pacers uniform? And that was against the Hawks, him hugging Nate McMillan before the game. I mean, man, that's kind of crazy to think about, Foch. I mean, it's hard for me to sit here and say, yeah, I can see that. But based on how I feel like this offseason is going to
1: go, it might be. It's very much a possibility. And it it feels weird to say, I'm not even kidding you. I just got goosebumps because – I don't know what's gonna happen. I, I really don't. If someone said, You cannot tell me there's no shot the Pacers trade Miles Turner this off. You can't say it. There, there's very much a possibility. I think pretty much everybody's on the table. I, I really do. I, I don't think there's there's an untouchable on this team. I realize that obviously since they traded for Levert, you know, you like Levert, but I mean, we've even heard Malcolm Brogdon's name floated around you know, at the deadline. and that's, You don't know what they're really going to do. And, but I, I do think change is going to be upon us. You cannot run this back. But most of all, the Sabonis-Miles Turner combination on the court, I think we've seen a large enough sample size by now to just say it's not going to get this team out from at best being the fourth seed. Yes, if this team's healthy, Alex, don't get me wrong. They are a playoff team. They are anywhere from the fourth to the sixth seed. They are. But how long do we want to be between the fourth and the sixth seed? That's that's the real question you got to ask yourself.
2: Well, right now I think a lot of fans would be happy with that. But i got to ask you this because this to me is a very important question that I, I don't know the answer, but I need to know what your answer is. So I hope you're ready. Who is the face of the Pacers franchise right now?
1: I think to to the, the masses, it would be DeMontis Sabonis because he's the two-time All-Star. I think it's between Sabonis and Brogdon, but I would I would lean, if you poll the majority, they would say Sabonis.
2: Okay, so that's kind of what I feel. I, I yeah. feel like he is the face of the franchise now um, based on the two All-Star appearances, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people would say he's our best player. I think some that watch the Pacers every single night might argue that. But let me just tell you this, because I've been on conversations with you, with other people. I've seen a lot of stuff on Twitter talking about trading Domas instead of Miles. And all I got to say real quick is that is going to be a very hard situation for the Pacers to to trade Sabonis over Miles. And here's what I'm going to tell you. I, don't, I necessarily don't care because I'm not the one making the decisions, but I would just trade whoever gets you the best return. But what I'm going to tell you is this, Fachi. Paul George was the face of the franchise in 2017. He asked for a trade. They traded him. Victor Lodipo was one of the guys that was in that return. For Paul George, along with Sabonis, he was the new face of the franchise. They traded him. If they trade Demontis Sabonis this offseason, they will have traded the face of their franchise three faces of their franchise in four years. I don't see them doing that and to me personally that is why I think Turner is more than likely going to be moved this offseason. One they've already been talking about trades before and two because of what I just said. Now I have said several times I think Turner fits this system a little bit better but at the same time I think that if Sabonis is playing the five, it'll fit his skillset better if they get better players around him. It's 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 a hard thing to unwrap. Both players have bring a lot to the table. Both are really good, not great. Both have flaws. Both have strengths. They're they're very both tradable in my opinion. But from what I just said, that's why I think the Pacers do select trading Turner over Sabonis this offseason.
1: I think so because you also have to put it into perspective that I think there's more teams that have a need for Miles Turner. Sabonis is a great player. Don't get me wrong, but there's I don't know how many teams are going to be willing to trade such an to you know present such an offer that the Pacers are like we couldn't turn this down. I think for Miles Turner, there's been a I believe a bigger market. I mean, at times I remember when the Pelicans, the Pelicans seem like a team that have been interested for a couple of years now. About pairing him, you know, whether it's a next to Zion now or even just before then, when I remember they were they were dangling, I believe the fourth overall pick and other assets for Miles Turner, a rim protection in, in the league where there's really not much defense being played, and also Miles' three point, you know, capabilities being able to stretch the floor. I, I think there's more of a need for him than there is for Sabonis right now, where you know centers aren't they're not as dominant as they used to be. No, and here's what
2: I'll say like when I talked with JMV last week, we talked about different destinations for Miles. And it's kinda of hard to figure out because there's just not a lot of teams that that need a center, right? There are teams that could definitely use one. Yeah. Like Charlotte's a big one, Toronto's a big one to me. New Orleans has always loved Miles, but for some reason they extended Steven Adams, which makes zero sense to me. That. Oh, definitely. Him and Eric Bledsoe. They wish they could get both those guys off the team. I like Steven Adams, but I think at this point in his career, he's going to revert to a a backup type of player once his contract is extended or uh, runs out and that kind of thing. But, I mean, we've got a lot of Twitter questions, and I don't want to get into this too, too much yet, but I will say this. I'm keeping my eyes on teams that possibly have or had cap space for the next season wanting to make a run at Giannis. And I think Toronto is a team to look at here. Toronto is more than likely going to miss the playoffs, okay?
1: Yeah. They will, have okay.
2: A, they will have a lottery pick. If they have the cap space with Kyle Lowry becoming a free agent and decide they want to move on from Lowry, and their biggest position probably of need to me is center, would the Pacers be willing to get off salary by trading miles to an Eastern Conference team like Toronto in exchange for a pick? They've already had past history of trading a former, former center and big man and Jermaine O'Neal to the Toronto Raptors back oh, in the day.
1: Sure.
2: Obviously, we know that these are different GMs, and Masai Uchiri is a different animal to deal with. But if they finish like nine or 10th, whatever it is in the draft lottery, and we dangle Turner for the ninth or 10th pick, plus we have our own lottery pick, I think that could be somewhat enticing. Not saying that it's the ultimate deal that I want, but if you can get two picks in the top ten, top twelve this season, I think that that's something to look at, Foch. I really do.
1: It's definitely something to look at when the Pacers haven't picked inside the lottery in years. I mean, you're talking about Miles Turner at the 11th overall pick. I mean, that's that's the closest we've come, you know, since if the Pacers can get two top 10 picks and still be able to have a center. A starting center and, you know, a two-time all-star. I think that's a pretty good deal. Look, I need to say this. I need to preface this. If you trade Miles Turner, you will not get comparable rim protection. It will not happen. Someone's not going to be able to replace that. You need to be able to look at other pieces that can help fit this team because you're not going to find a deal where you can just find another elite rim protector. But the Pacers do still have a ton of other pieces over here. If there is a team that is willing to present a massive offer for Domas, that could fill a lot of holes. But I don't know how many of those offers are really out there right now. I don't think they are.
2: Yeah, no, that's definitely something that I agree with with uh, Fanchi. You're not going to replace it. I think Goga has shown you know flashes.
1: Yes, of he being, has
2: being a rep protector. And I think someone said the reason I would trade Sabonis. Over Turner is because if Turner gets a foul trouble, you put Goga in and everything stays the same. And I, and it might have been Rhett Bauer, but I don't I don't remember one hundred percent. But I believe it was him that replied, and he said, "Just playing devil's advocate here, but you know that would make your team easier to guard because it's not different. You know, it's very much the same. If you have two totally different players, you know, on your team, it, it kind of makes it harder for the team to de- the other team to defend. So I mean, look, I get it. There's a lot of pros and cons to why you keep one over the other, trust me, I get it. It's a conversation that I think whenever the deals are made this offseason, there's going to be a lot of unhappy people in Pacer Nation because both of these guys, I mean, I feel like even after, mostly after this year, you have seen a, a complete divide between these two. And um, yeah. it's uh, it's growing more for miles than it ever has, to be I honest completely with you. I
1: really agree with that. There's, I, uh,
2: agree. I think there's more miles than Sabonis people. And I think it's easier just to nitpick Sabonis because he has the ball in his hands a lot, and he complains a lot. And Turner doesn't do that, and he's really important on defense. So I I, I understand, but yeah. Anyway, we're gonna talk about this for the rest of our uh, rest of our season and off season because until they make a move, I think it's got to be talked about. But this is where we're at now, and this is what I'm thinking. Just keep your eyes on teams that add cap space for Giannis. So Dallas is another team. Don't know where they're going to finish, but keep an eye on them as well. But anyway, let's take a quick break, Fachi. When we come back, we will answer all of your questions that you send us on Twitter. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, we are back, and we are going to answer your questions. So, fochie a lot of questions today. I wasn't expecting a ton of these. I was just thinking, what are a couple of topics here that we could talk about? But um, we're going to start things off here first with my man, Samuel Colbertson. He said, what do you think Brogdon's future is? With the Pacers, Fazio, I'll let you start first.
1: Well, I think Brogdon's future should be, you know, cemented as you know he's the starting point guard on this team. I think by bringing in LaVert, you brought in another guy that can handle the ball, but I think it was more to take some of the pressure off of Brogdon handling the ball because, as I mentioned before, he's not a true point guard. I, I like him better in a catch and shoot type situation than than you know dribbling all around and then trying to put up a three. And I think that. By adding Lavert, I feel like Brogdon, you know, got better, at least got, you know, was able to have some more success than, you know, I'd say around February. But I think you can't say that Malcolm Brogdon, you know, couldn't be moved. It sounded crazy to think about in the past, but I think that Brogdon is, I would say, more than likely safe on this team as a starting point guard come next season. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm not sure, Foch. Sure. Here's why. I, I like Brogdon. I really do. I think that he's better off ball. I don't think yeah. he's a true point guard. And I think Sabonis, Levert, and Brogdon, even though they were playing against some lesser teams in that little stretch we saw before Turner came back against the Hawks, I was seeing something click there offensively. I thought these three guys were starting to get comfortable with one another, feeling each other pretty well, you know, getting a feel for one another, that kind of thing. I really, I really do believe in Malcolm Brogdon as an NBA player. He's really good. I mean, there's no doubt about it. There's arguments that – He has been the best player on this team, but I think he's just been so inconsistent with the shooting numbers. Like last night I looked down and he was three of 17 at one point. Don't know what he finished with, but it was bad. Yeah. So a bad shooting night for him. And that's what you, that's what you get when you ask him to carry a bulk of the load. Like it's just inconsistent. I think he's better off ball. I think that this team needs a true point guard. And if his feelings are hurt by that, then I, I think that that's a sign that you might need to trade him because he might be too emotional. Because quite frankly, uh, I don't care if you're a starter or not, you're getting pager in a city you want to be in, who cares what position you play? I mean, if you're that worried about it, that's ridiculous. But I think that if the Pacers want to make a big, big splash, they could pair Brogdon with one of the bigs and try to get something super cool back in return. I don't know what that would be. But I know that Brogdon cannot guard fast point guards. He's... Better at guarding bigger shooting guard, wing-type players, like that kind of position. So that's where his strength is. He's a good knockdown shooter. Like when he is off ball, I love his shot. He is. Feels much more consistent. So, I mean, I'm not saying that he's not a part of the future of the team, but I'm not like 100% like, yeah, he's coming back. I just think he's important to this team in some ways. But as far as we talk about his leadership and everything about that, as far as that goes, I think that that can kind of die down a little bit because – Quite frankly, uh, this team needs a leader in the locker room, and I don't think it's Brogdon.
1: Yeah, I think Brogdon brings a lot of great leadership type qualities, but I don't know if he's necessarily the full you know the full answer of being the leader of this team. I think the patients are still kind of searching for that. Um, I mean, who knows what goes on in the locker room, but I do think that Brogdon did take his game a step forward this year. I I liked what I saw. I mean, obviously, he's got a scoring over 21 points per game, uh, rebounds five, you know, assists six. A little bit of a dip from earlier in the year, but that that has to do with you know Levert handling the ball a bit more and still shooting you know over 39% from three. There's a lot of great qualities that he brings to the team, but I do think that he is a bit limited, and that's why he's probably going to be one of the better guards each year that is not an All Star.
2: Yeah, no, that, that's fair. He, but he's no Mike Conley, I'll just say that. <laughs> you know what I well, mean? Like, Mike Conley is a free agent next year. I don't think he's leaving Utah. But, that, I mean, that's the type of player. Like, if you get him on a hometown discount, ooh, boy, I would like that. I think Mike Conley would look good with the Pacers starting five if you uh, move one of the bigs. I just – that's the type of player they need. They need a leader and they need a point guard. But, anyway, let's move forward. I want to stay on the Malcolm Brogdon topic. Um, this is David Matteo. He goes, does Malcolm fit in Nate's system? And do you actually think there's a chance Kevin Pritchard would ever trade him?
1: Placci. I think he fits better than Sabonis. Um,
2: Ooh, hot take.
1: Yeah, but uh, And I do think there is a chance that Kevin Pritchard would trade him. And, and look, <laughs> there's. I Pritchard's not going to walk out with everybody being his friend. And then there's going to be a tough decision that comes this offseason. One of these centers – I do think is going to be moving. Pritchard said it himself. You need to be different in order to, you know, do something different than what everyone else is doing in the NBA. And that was by running the two-center approach. They've ran it enough. It's not working. And and I I do think at this point, you know, Miles Turner could very much be on the table. I've mentioned before, longest-tenured pacer. It would definitely hurt a lot of people, but there's no way you could say that Miles is untouchable.
2: Nobody on this team is untouchable, in my opinion. They shouldn't be anyway. They're all good players, but they're not great. Yeah. So quite frankly, I mean, Kevin Pritchard, he might, unfortunately, walk out of there with all these guys being his friends if he doesn't make a move. (laughs) Because Mm -hmm. if he runs it back again with this same team, uh, his seat is going to be burning hot, Fanchi. He's going to be hotter than lava, if you ask me, because there's no way. In the world, you can run this thing back. There's just absolutely no way. I I mean, if they do, I I will be shocked if Pacer fans even want to have cable to watch them because this has gotten to a point where this franchise is stuck in the mud, and until they get more modern, they got the modern coach, but they don't have a modern team with it. If they don't get a modern team with the modern coach, what is the point? You know? But I mean, to answer David's question, I do apologize I think there is a chance he moves him because, quite frankly, Malcolm Brogdon, good player, not great. I'm going to say that about every single player on this team. I think that he could actually be really enticing to some other teams because of what he does. And that, to me, could fetch you back a better package than trading one of the bigs. That's why I've thrown out there, Focci, the the possibility of pairing him with one of the bigs because that solidifies two positions. A off guard or a point guard and a center. If you could put those two on a team, I think that that could be enticing, and a team could be like, "Oh my goodness, we just got two starters and we only had to give up one." Now it's not like an Anthony Davis type player you're going to get for him, but I think that you could get really close to you know an All Star level player, or it should be at least like Bradley Beal's a guy that I'll throw out there. I don't necessarily think that that trade makes a lot of sense based on who we have on the roster already. If you make that trade, but like somebody like that. Um, I'm not sure it would get Carl Anthony Towns out of Minnesota, but if you had a pick or two that you attach to it, maybe. So I mean, I'm just I'm just throwing out ideas. I'm not saying that this is what they're gonna do, but pairing those two together definitely helps bring back
1: more. Oh yeah, it definitely could. But if you you make that trade you trade Sabonis and Brogdon, for instance, you better make sure you got a guy who's coming over that's gonna re-sign because it could blow up real quick. and yeah. It's a bold move, and I respect swinging for the fences when the opportunity comes, but it would have to be an elite-level player if you're going to trade Brogdon and Sabonis because it was a big deal landed Malcolm Brogdon, and Sabonis has blossomed. I mean, definitely way past anyone's expectations. So I do think it could affect free agency moving forward if you're going to end up trading basically the two faces of the team. Uh, and then that player, you know, that you get in return walks, but hey, it's it's risky business out there if if you want to win it all. But what I will say, uh, I was thinking about in my head, you run the you run it back with the Pacers. I feel like it's almost relatable to like Fast and the Furious Nine, where you're saying like, what's the point here? We've already seen this enough; it, it, it's worn <laughs> off, and, and I don't want to see the ninth Fast and the Furious. I'm not going to give up on the Pacers. I'm not, but do not run it back, please.
2: Yeah, I, I don't think anybody wants to see that Faji. I really don't. I don't at all. But let's move on to Elliot Beaver's question: Should the Pacers consider an option of trading both Miles Turner and Demontis Sabonis and usher in the era of Goga Batadze?
1: I mean, I would like to see the Goga era, but I think it'd be a bold move trading both centers. Plus, I mean, that would have to be a multi-team deal because I don't see someone going, you know whose blueprint I want to follow? The Indiana Pacers. Uh, (laughs) You know, I don't think that's going to be high on other teams' lists. So it seems very unlikely. And I feel like the Pacers aren't going to be at a point where they just want to get rid of both of them because I feel like we've talked about they mix and match each other's strengths, basically. Um, So I, I just think that they would be more likely to keep one of the centers and then probably i mean i don't know how long Goga is supposed to come off the bench in his career if he ends up you know turning into what they hoped but it just seems like pretty it'd be tough to imagine them trading both centers
2: yeah no i mean the only thing that you would do from that is you would pretty much the whole entire franchise that or the fan base that is divided you would say hey we got rid of both of them so Shut up and quit arguing about the stupid centers, you know, because that narrative has been probably the most tiring narrative, yet we keep talking about it because it is topical. So, yeah, no, I don't think they should do this. I I love Goga. I love seeing his development, but I think that having a nice backup center in Goga Batadze really does help make one of these trades happen. And um, you can go out maybe with a a veteran or minimum contract and get a third-string center. Hopefully some, something similar to Kyle O'Quinn. I don't know if you're going to get that level of third-string center because Kyle O'Quinn for a third-string center was pretty good. But we're talking like a LaVoy Allen type of option here as your third-string center, a very cheap contract. That way you don't have close to 37 million, $38 million invested in your two centers. I think you can kind of disperse that uh, out a little bit and maybe get something a little bit more uh, modern with, with, a, with a move. But, yeah. No, nah, I, don't, I don't think you do that, Fach, not at all.
1: No.
2: All right. So let's move on. We got some more here. Um, all right. Let's just keep on the centers because it's, it's the most fun to talk about, I guess. But Omar El Coteri said, kind of return for Sabonis if he ends up being traded. Fachi, uh, any thoughts on this? Of what kind of return
1: we'd be looking for? Yeah. I mean, or what's you- a realistic return? A realistic return, I would imagine, would probably end up being, you know, a starter, a first round pick, and then, you know, there's probably another guy thrown in there, kind of like a so so player. I don't think that we're going to end up getting the type of package that we would envision in terms of like an all star and a first round pick. I think you'd probably be looking at probably a pretty good player and, and like maybe a lottery pick is what I would imagine. And for that, I just don't know if, that, if that's enough to really make the Pacers want to make that move when you're giving up a guy who could consistently be an all-star. I mean, Alex, what's your ideal package? No, what's your ideal package for Sabonis? And then what's the realistic package? Yeah,
2: I think, I think ideal is pretty close to what the, the magic got back for Nikola Vucevic.
1: Uh, that would be is, great.
2: Which is something I talked about. Like you're talking a young player plus two picks. I think it was, was two, it your two
1: first round picks. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and, and,
1: Wendell Carter, who was a former former lottery pick.
2: Yeah, let me look this. Up. Okay, so okay, let me check this out because somebody sent me a tweet yesterday talking about a trade they would not do, and I said, really? And uh, so let me pull this up. Okay, somebody from Sacramento said the Kings. They asked the question, what would a package for Sabonis look like? I want to give credit to this Sacramento fan. His name is at Tim Maxwell 22. He said the Kings need to include at least two high value assets, one medium to low asset, and salary. He said Indiana should get a 2021 pick, top four protected, a 2022 pick with the top four protected, Marvin Bagley and Buddy Heald for Demacis Sabonis and Jeremy Lamb. Okay, so a friend of ours, Jake Elrod, sent me that. He said, I don't know if I'd do this. I said, two first-round picks, Marvin Bagley, the second overall pick, and Buddy Heald, who was a top pick as well, for Sabonis and Lamb. I said, that'd be kind of hard to turn down, even though it is. Even though it is (laughs) Uh, top four protected. I think you have to consider that, Foch. And if that's, a, if that's what the Kings are willing to offer for Sabonis, you bring Bagley off the bench, you figure it out with him and Gogo, or you figure out if you can trade him somewhere else, you insert Buddy into the starting lineup, someone that can really shoot and now defensively. It might get a little worse on the perimeter with how bad Buddy Hield is defensively. But if you get two first-round picks in back-to-back years
1: plus your own picks, those are huge assets. I love me some Sabonis, but I don't think I can turn that deal down. I don't uh, either. <laughs> I, I think that the Kings have failed Marvin Bagley, as well as, you know, plenty of other players in the past. I do think that he's a pretty good player that, you know, could obviously contribute on the Pacers. The two first round picks I very much like. I wonder whose pick they would be trading because in the NBA you can't trade back to back first round picks. So that's true could be just kind of like a technicality thing of like, would that get the deal done? And like in that situation, I would love that, but the picks would probably have to be spread out. And then Buddy Heald, Buddy Hield would be a, a pretty good player for the Pacers. I mean, he's, he's a good player. I would imagine he probably, you know, averages less on the Pacers because, you know, you're playing winning basketball with, you know, more options on the team, but you're getting, that's what I mentioned. If you're getting at least a first round pick, then you're getting a starter you're getting basically two starters and two first-round picks there. It's, it's kind of hard. And if you can keep Miles Turner there, I mean, how are you going to turn that down?
2: Yeah. So here, here, let me get this corrected from Tim Maxwell twenty-two. He said a twenty twenty-one pick traded after after the selection, assuming we don't jump to top four high value. Then he said that the twenty twenty-two pick would be top four protected. So that is how you would make that deal work. fox you'd wait till the player is already selected. And then trade next year's draft pick. So that to me, I mean, hey, I mean, depending on who they get and where they are at, like if they're five or six, and you can go into the top five players in this year's draft. Ooh, Fauci, man! Oh yeah,
1: I mean, the best part about the Kings is that they're they're never really bad enough to be the worst. Yeah, you know, outside of that, outside of picking second for Bagley, I mean, this is a team that is routinely, you know, very subpar. They're, they're not horrible. They're not good. So I feel like I could easily see that pick being right around like eight or seven, you know, something right in that range that uh, would be very appealing, especially yeah,
2: Yeah. So I want to move on because Evan Price once said potential Pacers draft picks, patch, packaging second rounders or players to move up, et cetera. That, those are topics he wanted us to talk about. So potential Pacers draft picks we're talking about, like if they traded into the draft Like, I'm saying if they got anywhere from the top four, I think your top four uh, or a a player that would be available at the fourth overall pick is a guy like Jalen Green, who played in the G League. The same with Jonathan Kuminga. Those two guys have been locked in at 4-5 or on pretty much every big board that I've listened to. I know there's been some interest in Florida State's Scotty Barnes, Arkansas's Moses Moody, Tennessee's Keon Johnson, and then, of course, the one that was a standout in uh, in the NCAA tournament, Baylor's Davion Mitchell so if you can get any of those players Fudge I would feel pretty good so the Pacers can get in the top nine I'd be pretty happy with almost all those guys I think that Moses Moody and Keon Johnson would be probably eight and nine for me on that top nine list right there but yeah I also like Johnny Juzang the guy that went off for UCLA the six foot six small forward I really liked his game yep yeah I really liked his game and then Zaire Williams, He's a little bit uh, <laughs> needs to put on some weight. He's only 185 pounds at six foot eight, but ton of potential. there with Zaire Williams, wow. and he is actually mocked to the Pacers with the 12th overall pick on NBAdraft.net. Not sure when that was last updated. But those are some names that I'm interested in looking at. and I think that if the Pacers can get one or maybe two of those guys,
1: wow, I think that the future would seem really exciting. I am a big fan of Jalen Green and Jonathan Kamonga. I really think that uh, having played in the G League this year, from everything that that I've listened to, um, you know, Woes just had a recent podcast that was highlighting those two players. And it just feels like that's the future of, you know, outside of being able to jump directly from high school to the pros. I mean, these guys are playing at that in-between level. And this year, and I think that they're going to be a bit more ready to hit the NBA than ever before. If you can get either of those guys, I, I think that, that would be great. I mean, just the fact that I just don't think the Pacers are going to be able to get high enough over there. It feels like even if they kind of, uh, you know, to use the word tank, it feels like at best, what are we looking at, maybe 8 to 12? You know, yeah. it, it feels like right around there. So you probably are more looking at like the Scotty Barnes – the Kai Jones from Texas, you know, like the, the Jalen Johnsons from, from Duke, like those type of players that are good. But, y- you know, there's that drop-off once you leave the top five. And I, I always like to use, you know, the Knicks as an example. I, like the Kevin Knoxes and the Frank Milakinas and, and those guys and, like, the Stanley Johnsons, they're all eighth overall picks. You know, Contavious Caldwell-Pope was, like, right around there. I mean, while he, you know, contributed solidly to the Lakers, the guy never lived up to his draft position i mean there's just a lot of those guys that eighth pick in that area it kind of scares me a bit so you really want to be in that top five
2: did you mention kaya jones from texas yes i did we do not need another center you stop it
1: no we don't need it i'm saying those are the guys that are going in that in that area okay like, like, look, okay like evan, evan mobley i'm saying he's the center great talented player we don't need another center either uh he'll be picked earlier but well, I'm just saying Okay, like, let me ask you this hypothetical. Guys-
2: hypothetical. If we got the second overall pick, would you take Evan Mobley and would you trade both the bigs?
1: Yeah. You would? I mean, if you if you, I take the best possible player there. I Do agree. we need another center? No, but take the best possible player because in the NBA it's like these guys you they could end up playing for you know 18 years and you don't want to be the guy that thought you had things figured out for about a year or two and then things go south and then you miss out on on a stud i mean it's just like you know just the the, the kings i mean drafting marvin bagley i just feel like it's like how did that ever happen over Luca Doncic and stuff it's like Same it makes with
2: the sons
1: in, in regard oh yeah for deandre yeah. Ayton, yeah but but i feel like that in that situation the owner, Robert Sarver, is like a huge Arizona booster, and that he was. It doesn't doing,
2: matter. I'm just saying. It, I'm saying. It you have make to sense. draft
1: the best available player if you're in the top
2: spot, period. Even I completely if it doesn't agree. fit. I completely agree. Go back to the 80s when the Portland Trailblazers picked Brad Darty over Michael Jordan. Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. Or uh, sure. Greg Oden. I mean, now that one's different because he got injured. But. Kevin DeVrance right there, you know? I just – that one to me I don't care as much about. But I just think, like, so many teams look at players and are like, oh, we've already got a shooting guard. We got Clyde Drexler. We don't need Michael Jordan. Are you kidding me?
1: Yeah, Clyde the Glide
2: was great, but Michael Jordan is the GOAT.
1: Exactly. So it's have, like – It could have made it work. I mean, it's just – just worry about it later. Take the best possible player and you know what? Just, just figure it out after that because things can change quickly – in a year, yeah. So let's
2: let's move on. We got a couple of questions here about Coach Nate Bjorken. This one comes from Anthony Childress. Coach Nate uh, uh, Bjorken's contract. Do we know the details of it? How much to get out of it? If it became clear that the front office thinks he isn't the guy, basically, he wants to know if we know the numbers. And quite frankly, I don't think they ever released his numbers. But I did listen to Jay Michael on the JMV podcast or the JMV uh, radio show. While I was before I came on here to talk with you, Foch, and he did mention. They talked about this, actually, and he did mention there is money guaranteed in next year's contract from what he's heard. So that's from Jay Michael. I'm not reporting it. I'm just saying what I heard. There is reports that there is money on next year's contract. So it would be very unpacer-like for the team to cut a guy that they just hired after one season, even if they don't feel like he's a guy, based on the money. So that's, that's what I would say to that, Fonch.
1: Yeah, it's like guys, look, I'm sorry for for the for the crowd that that is definitely anti-Bjorkryn. It's not gonna happen. They're not gonna move on from him after one year. He's he's a, he's a, a rookie head coach in a very uh, non-typical NBA season. I mean, it's like I, I think that and which which rookie head coach wouldn't sign a deal that at least has guaranteed money moving forward because, you know, it, it doesn't put them in the best spot. So I could see if, if things went bad, like if things are really bad next year and the team's healthy, then you have no excuses. It's like anything could happen at that point. But I would be shocked if Bjorkren was fired in this offseason.
2: No, I, I would be shocked too. Like it could happen if the whole entire yeah players – and if Herb Simon says, this guy's got to go, he's not it then you got to go. But I think that the reports about them changing the coaching staff and all that kind of stuff really does make a difference because if they can get some veteran assistant coaches in here to kind of help carry the mantle. Which they need. They need that because, quite frankly, some of these assistants, I mean, they've not had long tenures in the NBA. Uh, so no. uh, they might be brilliant basketball minds, but I just got to stop real quick because we're talking about Bjorken, And i just got to give a shout-out to Nate McMillan, um, for what yeah. he's done with the Atlanta Hawks, we can sit here all day and rip him for how bad he was as a coach, but I think a lot of fans, based on this year and last year, would much rather have had the season they had last year than this year. Oh, yeah. And, and here's what I'm going to say. This is the biggest observation for me. McMillan adapted his system to the personnel he was given where Bjorkman is a, making the players adapt to the system
1: okay, that I he like is it. putting in. Okay.
2: And and quite frankly, that's what's happening. The players, the Pacers do not have the roster to play a modern-style game of basketball. And if the front office wants to go out here and make all these changes in the the coaching staff and all that to, to play more modern, then do your job and get the players in there that play that system because these players do not. And this is not a McMillan thing. This isn't a Bjorken thing. This is the first time that I've actually been publicly very hard on our front office but it's their duty and their job to make this roster fit this system because quite frankly it'd be dumb to replace mcmillan to bring bjorkman in here to try to run the same system that mcmillan was running get the right players run the right system
1: yeah definitely and aside from that back to the assistant coaches there's so many more teams that have veteran assistant coaches that have been nba head coaches uh, and the Pacers, they don't have that right now. Nope. They really don't. They're completely lacking that. And, I mean, I believe McMillan's nickname was the general. I believe it was. This is a guy who played in the NBA for a while, was respected, and had been around the block as a head coach. Sure, he didn't have playoff success anywhere he went. It's, it's unfortunate. But he had at least been around and could, like you mentioned, adjust to what he had and – I think we took that for granted a bit. I mean, hey, look, for the Hawks, at that point, trying to get back to being a playoff team, I think he's great for them. This Pacers team, they had maxed that out, and they were looking to win. They were looking to win in the playoffs and go further, and unfortunately, it it hit its point, and they needed change. Uh, I mean, if things didn't work out, I'm sure it could have gotten very ugly, and maybe McMillan could have been fired in in the middle of this year. I don't know. It, it's very much a possibility. But Again, the hawk situation, everything's working out great over there. Hey, I'm happy for him, but I don't want to put all the blame on Bjorkman, but obviously he's got to shoulder some of it.
2: Oh, no. I mean, uh, it, there's a lot of people to blame here, but I really there think is, it's front office. Yes. I really do because they tried to trade Turner for Gordon Haber. They tried – to, they obviously did. The trade of got Levert. I mean, I'm not saying all the pieces make sense. And if you have TJ Warren for a full year, how how much difference does that make? I mean, I think it makes a significant difference, quite frankly. But at the end of the day, Flash, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and make excuses. Like, you cannot expect a coach that wants to have his power forward out there chasing guards off the perimeter, uh, inserts a bonus into that position. I mean, that. I mean, you're going to get him crucified out there. I mean, it, to me, it's just like. They, they just don't make a lot of sense with how they handled everything and, and how they assembled the roster because, quite frankly, you're going to play two bigs if you don't trade one of them because you're not going to bench one of them, and that's what a lot of people have suggested. It's not going to happen. They will not bench one of those guys. Those guys are two of their five best players. They're not going to do that. So that's just out of the question, and those guys would not handle being benched, either of them. you know They would, they would ask for a trade if that was the case. So long story short, I, I just think this team – this next offseason has to make some significant changes. And uh, I don't think it's the coaching staff's fault right now, but if they have another season like they had this year, next year after making changes, you bet your bottom dollar this is Bjorkman's final year in 2021-2022 if they have another season like this. There's no way they're going to keep that that tandem intact because I just think the longer he's on this team as the coach and they continue to fail, the hotter the seat is for Pritchard. And what is he going to do? He's going to make a move to save his seat or cool his seat down a little bit.
1: I can't argue that one bit because, yeah, I mean, at that point, you, you got to know that, uh, you know, Pritchard was very much tied to McMillan. And at this point, if if Bjorken doesn't work out, I mean, they're, the first person you're going to look to is, is Pritchard in that front office. So, uh, you know, he's got to save his butt, but at the same point, hey, you know, look, it, we, we knew once T.J. Warren wasn't coming back and we, you know, we traded to Oladipo, this season it wasn't gonna be our best and that obviously puts it lightly uh, hey guys if, if in the end we end up getting a top 10 pick uh, you know that that could be what maybe benefits this team the most moving forward and I know we want playoff success but no matter which way around it it's not gonna be this year
2: Now give me a draft pick I don't want to watch this team in the playoffs it's been too bad of a year already but um, one more coach's question comes from Randall uh, Tonini. It might be too soon but has head coach Nate started to lose this team. The energy in the huddles has been concerning. Already look defeated and deflated. Fachi, what are your uh,
1: observations so far from this from this coaching staff to the players? I I just don't know who's the guy that that's holding everybody accountable at this point once once losing sets in. I mean, do you start to just I feel like at times kind of tune it out a bit. And yeah. I just don't know who's the coach on this team that demands that respect because everything's great in the beginning, you know, before you start actually playing the season. And Bjorken's giving everybody positive reinforcement and all this, but that wears off after a while. Yeah. And, no. and I think that players, they want to see results. And this team, they're used to winning. They, 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 they are. And I know we're not talking about winning big, but the Pacers had been winning right around 50 games for the last few years. And this season, it never really looked great. I mean, outside of, I want to say, I mean, obviously they started 3-0, and but after maybe 10, 10 to 15 games, it was all downhill from there.
2: Yeah, and I think the Depot thing obviously played a little bit of an impact on it. Yep. Had he been here all year long, I mean, I think they probably would have been better. Now, I mean, had he got injured or something like that, then sure, but I think that he was playing his best basketball of the season this year with the Pacers. He had good chemistry with some of the guys, and he fit the system pretty well. Um, there were still some times where he looked a little bit ginger on his legs. But, yeah, I mean, just trading him and putting Leverton here and, and trying all that, it really did mess things up. And I've heard from several people that the the front off, or the, the, the players were frustrated with how much uh, favoritism Brogdon and Sabonis were getting, are getting, whatever, but there's not a lot of like, super reporting on it. It's just like observational reporting and and, and minor reporting. But it, it it is what it is. I mean, I think anytime you go through losing streaks like this, your names are going to be brought up in trade rumors. You're going to be upset. You're going to have issues with your teammates because clearly it's not working. Got to put your energy somewhere to take it out. And sometimes you can take it out on a coach. You can take it out on a teammate. Whatever. But I do think that Bjorken. I have never really seen him get animated except at an official for a bad call. I've never seen him rip someone no. for for failing to do something. He's very positive. That's what Kevin Pritchard has preached and preached and preached. And um, if you listen to the podcast with J M V brought up Calvert Chaney uh, about two or three weeks ago when they were playing the Hornets at home. He said Bjorkren's playing on his iPad and Calvert Cheney walks in there and just starts ripping some uh, players out, <laughs> chewing them out because they're not playing right and they're not doing their job right. So it's hard in this day and age to – you know, embrace a tough-nosed coach that gets on players like that. But I think sometimes that's necessary. I think you need a little bit of a Coach K uh, red in the face, you know, finger in your face kind of going off on you sometimes. sometimes. But it's not like a thing that I'm embracing, like, well, we should be treating players like scolding them, whatever they're professionals. But I think sometimes, you know, a wake-up call is needed for everybody. And I think if you can call out your star player and then call out your worst player, it shows everybody on the team, hey, this coach means business, but that's why they got rid of McMillan. They didn't like him because he was a Sarge. Quite frankly, Atlanta needed that drill sergeant they did. to get some order in there. And I think the Pacers could use a little bit of that because right now, when the players are dictating what they want, um, I don't, number one, these players aren't good enough to me to dictate what they want. No. And, and secondly, I think that you need someone to hold players accountable because, quite frankly, there's no leader on this team.
1: There really is. And look, we're not looking for Jim Boylan here. All right. We're not looking for, you know, to, you know, to really have all the players turn against you because you're, you're making their life hell. But at this point, I, I just think that Bjorkren does need to kind of take more control of the ship because it ain't sailing right. And, and I, I think at this point, you know, I, I, you you got to do something different. I mean, I, I've related to, I know it's different. It's not college anymore, but, Bob Huggins at West Virginia, I've seen him kick even the star player off the team numerous times to send a message to everybody else that wants to be there and work. And I know you can't do that in the NBA, but there's a certain level of respect that needs to be had from your head coach, and unfortunately, I don't think Nate Bjorken has earned it yet.
2: Nope, I don't either. So anyway, Foch, let's move on to one of our last questions. We have two more questions left. I want to answer them quickly. First and foremost, Ivan Burden, he wants to know, after last night's game, do you shut Miles down for the
1: entire uh, season for the rest of the year, Fauci? I think you take it as it goes right now, see how the Pacers are. Look, if if for some reason they start, you know, winning a bunch of games, then maybe you can bring them back towards the end of the season, play a couple games, and then see where you're at, if it's the eighth seed or that. If you're not even looking at being in in the playoff, you know, the playing game, 110% 110% shut him down. You could shut him down if you want, just to even see how it would look as just a bonus as the main center with Goga. But I'm not feeling like Miles Turner is going to be, you know, no offense to Miles, the difference between winning a first round playoff matchup or not. We're not winning a first round playoff matchup with this team.
2: <laughs> wow. Fodge coming in there with the heat. Yeah. I like it. it. <laughs> it's
1: harsh words out here today.
2: Yeah. No, I, I agree. Shut Turner down for the season number one, that injury can take quite a bit of time. And then sometimes that injury can cause surgery. Um, I've done some research on Twitter and some guys have shared some stuff and yeah, it's just when it seems like when it's this type of injury with that toe, it can be really, it can be really um, damaging and it can, and it can cause some lingering issues. So quite frankly, you just want him to get healthy. And I wonder like, this is very insensitive to me, but like, how does that impact his trade value? if he has that toe injury and he has to have surgery and stuff like that, like that's something you really have to think about. Um, I don't want him re-aggravating that injury at all because he's already played through a lot of injuries this year. I think he played through, what was it, a broken hand earlier or was it a broken something? He had a wrist
1: wrist issue.
2: Yes. I mean, he's played through injuries, so if you're saying he's not tough because he's not played through injury, then you're just being ridiculous. But he's played through injuries all year long. I, he's been one of those guys to me that's always had some minor injuries hmm. Throughout the year, I think he had an ankle injury last season and it happened in the Nets game. He's a guy that I just don't want him to get hurt. Um, He's pretty healthy for the majority of his career, but he's had some minor injuries. And I just say at this point of the season, there's no reason to put him back out there to aggravate or re-aggravate that injury. Take the year off, get healthy, and whatever happens in the offseason happens. But I want him to be fully healthy for another team if he comes back because I want him to succeed if he goes to a team. That's not the Indiana Pacers. I want him to do well, and I want him to have a long, healthy, and fruitful NBA career. But last question, this comes from Jason Lange. Here's an idea. What would it take for the Pacers to win a championship? Who on the roster, if any, could be on that championship team?
1: Oh, man. I mean, what would it take? Uh, Much better players. Um, And that's not to come down hard on our team, but we don't have a Kawhi Leonard a LeBron James, a guy that can truly take over and make a difference. I mean, what Kawhi did that season for Toronto, like he was the missing piece. Right now, I don't know who who would really be the missing piece for this team in order to get, you know, a star player. We would have to give up a, a large chunk of this team. So who would be the guy that remains there? Man, I, I really don't know. I, I do think that we would have to sacrifice – a large part of this core. Uh, it's hard for me to, to 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 even imagine us winning a championship right now with this roster. What do you think we're missing? Oh,
2: yeah, we're missing an elite point guard and we're missing an elite yeah. wing player, a two-way player. I mean, yeah. Pretty much you're missing Paul George with a Chris Paul and maybe a uh, a better another better wing to go with him. I mean, you're just missing a lot. You just need you top are. you just need top-tier talent and I think that they can compete in the regular season with some of these teams, but like, nah, like it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to say what they ne- desperately need, but it's like, yeah, they need Steph Curry and LeBron James. Like, is that too broad for you? Like, okay. So they need to figure out a way to get Devin Booker out of Phoenix and get Carl Anthony Towns out of yeah. Minnesota.
1: It's not just one player for yeah. sure. And like and then, it's it's two stars. That's what it, it takes in the NBA. It's stars, not just two all-stars, you need two stars. I mean, you look at Le- like LeBron and Anthony Davis, what they did together. What Kawhi did w- was great, but they also had two other All Stars in Pascal Siakam and and Kyle Lowry. I mean, there's there's good players on that team with a good coach. It, it takes a full you know a full team. Um, and right now the Pacers, it, it's not just one guy. I mean, if you're gonna make a move for anyone else, you gotta imagine you're obviously losing you know, Sabonis, and, you know, probably Brogden. So then who are you bringing in at that point? It's, you know, you're definitely not going to be getting two stars back for those guys.
2: Yeah, you'd have to pretty much trade Levert and Warren, Sabonis, Brogdon, and Turner to get two stars back and then hope that you can find guys in free agency that are enticed by the players we acquired. So that would take a lot. I mean, it's, it's really hard to pinpoint how that would go about. But I think, honestly, the only players on this roster right now that I think that could be on that championship team probably Justin holiday and maybe Edmund Sumner I think those are two guys that could stay on the rotation without being traded I think that McConnell could be a free agent so I don't want to say him with McDermott uh Goga could be part of a piece that gets traded just because of his young uh his young contract and his age I, I yes I think I think Justin Holiday has actually already been on the championship team hasn't he 2015 Golden state warriors so there we go perfect answer he's an older veteran with a really cheap contract no reason to get rid of him so yeah that'd be my answer but yeah I mean if they were able to get a top draft pick and like just have injuries happen and they were to draft LeBron somehow and they could trade some other guys then maybe you could keep one of your core guys and he could win the title with you but yeah it's just it's really hard to win in the NBA it's really hard to win a championship unless you have stars and Quite frankly, I don't think the Pacers are anywhere close to that or ever will be for the next couple of years until they can prove that they can win a playoff series because that to me is the hardest thing to do for this team is just get out of the first round of the playoffs.
1: As sad as it is, I don't think it's going to be one trade that would change things. I think it would be landing a top pick because those are the franchise-changing pieces right there. You know, your LeBrons, your Steph Currys, you know, your, your Zions. I mean, even, even the Pelicans right now, they're not playing well, but Zion is a very special talent that, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, a true difference maker that I, I think the Pacers right now, if you're really looking to get to that next level, you're going to need to have one of those type of players uh, rather than, you know, because your window right now, I mean, what's the Pacers' window? That, that's the real question. You know, it's not an old team, but at the same point, you know, it feels like the window for this team is the next two years due to the contracts. I mean, Lavert for two years. You have Sabonis for, I think, you know, three years. You have, you know, Miles Turner for, I think, two more years past, you know, after this season. Uh, and then, you know, obviously, you got to re-up Warren. You have, uh, I want to say, Brogdon will have two more years after this season. So, that's pretty much their window. Ugh, that seems a bit tight.
2: Yeah, I mean, so there's two routes you could go. Like, you could look at the Rockets. They went out and got James Harden from the Thunder, and then they went out and tried to, like, get players to play with them. Like, Chris Paul, they acquired him via trade. So you could do the trade thing, and it might not happen, like, in the same season. Could happen in back-to-back years. You could go that route. Or you could look at what Golden State and with what OKC did, and that's go out and draft some talent. Look at the players that OKC drafted over like a 5 to 6 year span. They got Stephen Adams, Serge Ibaka, James Harden, Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. I mean, that's a pretty that's a pretty ridiculous drafting class there. You go look at what Golden State did. They got Draymond Green in the second round. They got Steph Curry, they got Klay Thompson. Then they went out and made a minor deal, but it was a pretty big deal for Andre Iguodala. Actually, I think he was a free agent signing. Free agent, yep. Um but but by by but by having those players available on their roster, And developing them, it enticed a guy like Andre Iguodala, who was still somewhat in his prime when he went there. And then, of course, it lured Kevin Durant away from OKC. So I think if you can maybe go the draft route, I mean, that's how teams usually win. Miami, you know, they went and got the big three. That happened to them, the Lakers. I mean, they're always buying people. But there for a while, I mean, they drafted Magic Johnson. Yeah, they did trade for Kareem. But, you know, I mean, they had to get lucky in the draft. And it it took luck in the draft for... The Lakers still even make the Anthony Davis trade happen so
1: and even when you talk about Miami none of that big three ever happens if they hadn't drafted Dwayne Wade third overall that's true too I mean it's it's just uh you know that's that's the move right over there I believe it's fifth overall but still top five pick but you know you're talking about uh that is a franchise changing player that in 2005 ends up leading to the championship you know him and Shaq. I mean It's like those, that's what it takes. It takes that top five pick to get a truly special talent that you could have, you know, as you mentioned, for, you know, seven, eight years right over there. So that's truly what it takes. Uh, I think for right now, for the Pacers, the next few games, uh, the next, you know, 15 games, whatever it is, I really want to see them try and develop some young talent and see where you fall in the draft. You know, I, I think if we can really see, guys like goga show show I mean continue to show what he's showing I'll feel better moving forward that hey if they are going to make a trade it's not going to be such an unknown as to you know who's stepping up
2: yeah no and just real quick here fachi I'm going to pull this up while I'm talking but there's only 15 games left this season and we do play some pretty cake uh, cupcake teams but we do have some tougher ones still I mean we don't want to go through the whole schedule but if you look at the conference the Eastern Conference, the Pacers currently are in ninth place. They are two and a half games back of the eight seed Charlotte Hornets who have the tiebreaker. They are two games ahead of the Bulls who Chicago has a tiebreaker, and they're two games above Washington. So I know last night Washington won, and I know that um, Chicago won. Actually, Washington's won their last five. Toronto's won their last three, and Chicago's won their last two. Uh, Toronto is only two and a half games back from Indiana at nine. So, if one, if two of Toronto, Washington, Chicago could, you know, get Indiana out of the playing game, I think that that'd be ideal. And then that would put them. I think if we look at the league standings, they're about they're about nineteenth right now. I think Flatch, so they'd be picking around eleven or twelve. So, so yeah, I just think <laughs> if they can get in the top ten, they've done pretty well with drafting in the lottery. Um, we'll erase we'll the Tyler Hansbrough era and the Jonathan Bender eras. But for the most part, I mean, they, they've done pretty well. So I, I don't want to wish the guys to lose, but at the same time, the best thing for the Pacers to do is to get a high draft pick and, and let these young guys develop, see what you have. And, you know, I would love to see O'Shea Brissett, Cassius Stanley, those kind of guys get more run to see what you have in those
1: guys. I really do want to see more Stanley because I know it's a very small sample size, but in blowouts, I feel like Stanley is the one guy that looks like he, he has a future in the NBA. Like he'll get a basket towards the end where it's very different than like, you know, no offense, but like Brian Bowen putting up a couple of shots or like that time I told you where Jalen LeCue somehow put up like six shots in like 60 seconds and missed them all. You know, it just feels like I want to see more Cassius Stanley. I'm not just talking about two minutes in a blowout.
2: Yeah, no, and I agree, and I think we've said it. This team needs more athleticism. They do. has got more athleticism on the team than Cassius Stanley. Probably no one. No one. So that's that's where I stand. But anyway, Fachi will not um, be able to do a show with me on Thursday, but we're going to both record separate segments for you guys, so we will be back. For some more Pacers talk, if where can the people, find us out on social media.
1: So you can find us on Twitter at settingthepace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenMBA. You can find me on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. And you can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk.
2: And while you might not want to actually cheer for the Pacers to win, I think it'd be smart for you just to be supportive during this tough time as we are diving into multiple losses and say these three words.